The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Look with me now in Isaiah chapter 9. This is God's Word that is read in your hearing. It's inspired, it's inerrant, and it is infallible. But there will be, now just I'm going to try to emphasize a couple of things here. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee, of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, in in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For... To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. For the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. One of the little backdoor insight behind the curtain. uh, Certainly, the church calendar is not binding for us. Let me make this abundantly clear for all. There is only one holy day, one holiday that is binding upon believers, and it's the Lord's Day uh, every week. But the church calendar does provide us some information and some instruments as we bring festival focus upon the incarnation of Christ, Holy Week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit of God upon the church of God 
to accomplish the mission of Christ with the message of Christ. I mean, it's a glorious things to use for emphasis and instruction and focus in discipling God's people. And it's in our case, uh, because of the previous impact of Christianity in our culture, it's a bridge whereby we can uh, uh, talk to people and take Christ across that bridge to them and them across that bridge to Christ. So I'm grateful for the church calendar. But as it comes around every year, now I'm into four decades of Advent sermons and Advent uh, celebrations and, and and yes, there's the glory of repetition, but there's also within it the opportunity for exploration, not ingenuity, but at least exploration of various ways to say and present things to further uh, the, de- the depth and the breadth and the uh, height of your joy in the Lord. And so periodically pastors kind of share things and something I became aware of. I must be so, I must be so deep down, head down at Briarwood that these things that, that are happening many times, I have no idea of them, but there is this spreading, um, <clears throat> new theme in the Advent season throughout the evangelical church, and I've heard of a couple of PCA churches as well, where they are now introducing into the Advent season um, a Sunday to focus with lament. In fact, they've even given it a name. And I'm going to say this name, and if you think what I think, we're going to bring church discipline upon you and me. The name they've given it is Blue Christmas. If anybody's thinking Elvis Presley right now, you are coming under discipline right now. Blue Christmas. Sundays of lament. Now, folks, I think I understand the motivation, and I certainly believe there's a place for lament in the Christian life. I'm well aware of that for various, various reasons. And it's appropriate. Remember our Nehemiah day, we had a whole section of the three hours uh, set aside, uh, four hours, excuse me, a whole section set aside for biblical lament. But you'll notice we didn't end there. And uh, that's what we, we certainly focused on lament. There were, there's much to lament about. But where we brought our, where we were brought to, and that's what I believe about Christmas. I, at the Advent celebrations in the Scripture, as I read the prophecies of Jesus, it is the Advent and the Incarnation are presented with joy that our laments have been answered by God's grace in His Son. The theme that is repetitious, I tried to read it for you just from this prophecy, Seven times in one form or fashion in that short prophecy that is foundational and permeates so much. This prophecy that 700 plus years before the birth of Jesus. That this prophecy that is answering lament. He has given, he has for eight chapters laid out the lament of the unfaithfulness of God's covenant people and where it has led them. Under the hand of a sovereign God. And here are the laments that are laid out. Then, in chapter 9, here is God's answer. Our answers only bring further lament. His answer brings 10,000 joys. Joys beyond anything that we could contemplate anticipate 
or even imagine in Jesus Christ. And there is the glorious emphasis. Joy to the world. Rejoice, Emmanuel. Shepherds, rejoice. A Savior has been born to you. Unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. This is one who will bring the joy of salvation. This is the one who will bring the joy of a Savior who cannot fail you, will not fail you, and will bring all of his from their sin, from their gloom, from their lament, from their despair, into his joy forevermore. And he is our joy. Emmanuel, the incarnation, God with us. And what Isaiah has done is he has outlined the promises that this Messiah, King, will accomplish. And the promises that will be enjoyed in his kingdom. Gloom shall be displaced with glorious joy. The dominion of sin will be defeated by His glorious grace. Darkness will be dismissed by His glorious light. And He will establish His kingdom And the government of that kingdom will be on his shoulders. And this kingdom shall know no end. Do you know what's about to happen to Israel? Israel, after this prophecy, is going to be swept through by the Assyrians. And they're going to take ten tribes away into almost oblivion and slavery and bondage. And then in a hundred and... 10 to 15 years, another that empire will, will dissipate and be gone. And another one will sweep in the Babylonians. And they'll take up the two tribes uh, yet to be taken into Babylonian captivity. And they'll make desolate Jerusalem. They'll destroy the Solomonic Temple. They'll take away all of its furnishings. And they will then make trip after trip to bring more into slavery and oppression out of Israel. And then in 130, 40 years, they're gone. And then sweeps the Medo-Persian Empire. And there's a little less than a hundred years, and they'll be gone. And then sweeps in the Greek Empire, and in less than 75 years, it's gone. And then sweeps in the Roman Empire, and it will be gone. Do you see? Every nation empire that has ever existed knows an end. But his kingdom and the increase of his kingdom knows no end and is forever. And the reason is because it rests on the shoulders of this king. And any and all who would oppress 
Satan, sin, the world, the flesh, any and all, he will break their yoke. He will destroy their rod. He will set free his people from their oppression. He will be their liberator, their emancipator. That's what this king will do. This is a marvelous king. There are marvelous prophecies. For instance, the mouth for all of those kingdoms that would come in to oppress his people for hundreds of years, 700 years more and then more after this prophecy, 700 years more. All of that that will sweep in through Naphtali, the, the, land of the, uh, the land of Galilee, Naphtali and Zebulun, from that same place, the village of Nazareth, from that same land, Capernaum, will now come the light that dispels the darkness. The Redeemer from that same land who wins the victory over Satan and sin and hell and death and the grave. He will be in that that place that was the mouthway of oppression, now becomes the gateway that heaven has come down, that life and joy may fulfill our souls. What glorious promises. But who is this king? Who is this king? Well, he's a child who is born. Humanity. Fully human. He is a son. And that's anticipating John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Here is full deity. Here is the incarnation. Here is Emmanuel. God with us. God one of us. God among us. God has come to be with us. One of us. To take our place. Take the place for us. That we might have his emancipating victory. Who is this king? Is he able? Who is this Messiah King? A child king? The son king? Of the line of David? That means from a forgotten tribe, Judah. A forgotten family line of the tribe of Judah, Jesse. A forgotten line of kings will be his adopted father and appointed mother, Mary and Joseph. Bethlehem, child, king, not Rome, Bethlehem, not Caesars and their parentage, a forgotten line of kings that no one's writing about except Holy Scripture. Who is this king? This child king has a name. His name, his name, singular, shall be called 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Well, pastor, isn't that four names? No, no. He's got one name. This is the Christ. This is Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. His name, which is above every name. His name, which when called upon will surely save. His name, which every knee shall bow. His name. But here are four descriptive, arranged, interdependent, intradependent throne names. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Those throne names describe his name. Now listen, he's got more titles and names than this. In fact, I'm going to hell. Would you like, how many of you know how many names and titles Jesus has in the Bible? Don't raise your hand because I don't think you do. I didn't until I read Joel Beakey's Systematic Theology. And he's done the research. And this is going to be easy. It's easy for me to remember. It may be easy for you to remember. Do you know how many there are? 280. 280. Does that sound familiar to you? I will never forget that. 280 names and titles of Jesus. Because I live with the sanctifying presence of Highway 280 every day of my life. I'll never forget this. But he has spirit-inspired arranged the four that build on each other, that are interdependent and interdependent. And the first thing he says to you, he is the wonderful counselor. Now, when you hear that, don't think therapist. This is a throne title. This is a title of one in the court. This is usually the person's second in command. You got three of them that are types of Christ in this area who are in your Bible. Daniel. Nehemiah and Joseph, they all served as chief advisors. They all served as counselors to the king. Any king in that day, one of the measurements of that king is, who is your counselor? Who is your advisor? And there were three things in the profile of a counselor, a regal counselor. And that those three things is number one, wisdom. Number two, Strategy. He is a he is a strategic thinker. And then number three, he's trustworthy. He is loyal. He does. He's not in it for himself. He is in it for the king and the people whom the king is responsible for. That's what he's in it for. And so this one, those, this, this is a titled office. And what is the text telling you? That child king, that son of David. This one, the Son of God, who has come as the Son of Man into this world, this Emmanuel needs no counselor. He is his own counselor. Who, Romans 11, who has become his counselor? Who has given, who has given him and taught him? Who is it that has instructed him? No. 
His thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. This glorious counselor is wisdom personified. The word has become flesh and dwelt among us. This counselor is not, this Jesus is not only incomparable with wisdom. And by the way, this word wonderful. You ready for a Hebrew language? Hebrew? Can I tell you what? The Hebrew word for wonder, translated wonderful, means, can I? Good. This, you'll never forget this. I feel like I'm back at East Carolina. It means full of wonder. It's amazing, isn't it? It means overflowing with wonder. It means he's incomparable. There is no one who has wisdom like him. He is above us. So glorious is his wisdom, the world counts everything from him as foolishness. But to those who believe and are spiritual, it is wisdom. The world says the preaching of him is wisdom, is foolishness. The world says going and dying and humbling yourself and coming and laying aside glory and manifesting your power through humiliation and humbling yourself. The world says that's foolishness. But this one has the absolute strategy. How will I remove sin's gloom? How will I remove sin's dominion? How will I remove sin's penalty of death and shame and guilt? How will I make the nation a royal nation? That increase is unstoppable. And the praise of God in this kingdom will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. How will he do this? It will be like the days of Midian. Get away 20,000. Get away 10,000. Give me 300. Because it is... Is the sword of the Lord and Gideon. It's not the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon. It is the sword of the Lord and Gideon. Gideon's sword was the Lord. So give me a clay pot, give me a torch, and give me a shout. Because the battle is the Lord's. And this one who comes... In foolishness and weakness in the world is the wisdom of God personified. And he has made a way when there was no way for us to be saved. And he has become the way. And he's become the truth and he's become the life. Can you just go one little step deeper with that with me? Just go one step with me. He not only has the wisdom and the strategy and the trustworthiness to be his own counselor, to fulfill all of those promises that gloom shall be um, displaced with joy and light and darkness, with light and death, with life and anguish, with joy. He has not only given you those promises, but he has the wisdom and the strategy to accomplish it, even though the world would would um, would seek to deride it and let the world deride or pity, but we will glory in his name. Our wonder 
wonderful counselor. He is the one who has made this way. And then when you are saved by what he has accomplished at that cross, he then begins to work in you and you receive the presence of the wonderful counselor. As he becomes your way with his truth and he becomes your life, not the additive. Jesus is not my religious additive. You know, I got my life. I live my life. Now, I need a little religion. I mean, I think Jesus, he'll fill the bill. I'll go get him. Well, he will not negotiate that. He does not offer to become a part of your life. He says you got to die to yourself, and then he becomes your life. Well, it's one thing to have wisdom. It's one thing to have a strategy. It's one thing... To be loyal and trustworthy. But can he deliver? Listen, the books of history are filled with warriors and generals who had great plans, but they couldn't bring it home. They couldn't do it. They couldn't accomplish it. They had all the X's and O's outlined on the blackboard. But they couldn't do it. Can this child king, can this that's laying in that cattle trough, stone cattle trough, in a dying town of Bethlehem, in a remnant nation and a forgotten line of kings can he do it can he fulfill the promises through this strategy that he will humble himself to be found in appearance as a man and humbles himself to the point of an atoning death on a cross can he do that? Is he able? Therefore, Isaiah says, he is the mighty God. The mighty God who is strong in battle. This is the one who has come. He not only has the wisdom and the strategy. He not only has this one, but he not only has this incomparable strategy and wisdom and the reliability to enact it. He is able. Is he able? Then I say to you, joy, 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 10,000 joys. Yes, there is a resounding voice that has come down from heaven. Yes, he is able. This one whom you look at in that manger, this is the warrior king. This is El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. There, the one you see laying in that stone trough, there, that one is the one who spoke and all the worlds came into existence. The one that you look upon in that stone's trough, and as he lay there, is the one who upholds the world by the word of his power. That one that you look at is God's 
final word, God's spoken word to save his people from their sins. This word has become flesh. This is not only the one that is the creator who, when he speaks his word, brings all things invisible and visible into existence. Don't you love the story, the, the creation account where, you know, basically what we're instructed in the account and its repetition in the Psalms is that he spoke and there came the creation and then the stars. By the way, let's put the stars out there. And the whole creation from his spoken word from nothing became something. And the something exists to declare his praise and his glory. And now he upholds that world and the whole universe by the word of his power. And he gives life and breath to all of humanity. And then this is the one. This is the one who is the word that has become flesh. And God has finally spoken in his son. And this is the one who is ascended. And when he returns, all of the enemies that he has defeated, he will destroy them. And he will roll up his enemies and their weapons and the, from the tumult of battle and will cast it into the everlasting fire. When he comes... One little word shall fail all his enemies who will be slain by the breath of his coming. He's already come and defeated them. Then he will come and with one word destroy them as they're cast into the lake of fire. He is the mighty God who has come To save us from our sins. This is God incarnate. The incarnation. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus came, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts and I'll give you the takeaway. Just a couple of thoughts here. When Jesus came, let's go back into the historical setting. When Jesus came, the remnant of Israel that was still there gathered around Jerusalem and in Judea and Judah and Judea, this remnant that was left, they were longing. Man, it's just like wave after wave after wave, Assyrians and Babylonians and Medo Persians and Greeks and now Romans. We want to break the rod of the oppressor. But they didn't trust God's promises and his prophecies. They'll find a way. So we had some of them in your Bible called Herodians. We'll make a coalition with Herod. That'll get it done. And then you had the zealots. We'll use the weapons of the world to get rid of the oppression. We'll accomplish it with worldly wisdom and worldly weapons. And with the anger of man. And then there's the Sadducees. Embarrassed by the intelligentsia of the Greeks. Compromising biblical truth. They didn't attempt a coalition. They just promised a cultural accommodation. We'll just kind of sacrifice some doctrines. That the world may find offensive. 
Maybe that'll help us get it done. And then there were the Pharisees. Called conservative, but actually, folks, please understand this. While they were certainly arrogant in self-righteousness, their, their ministry existed. They existed to help God get done what he promised. And they were walking pragmatists. I mean, do we need to go make a deal with Pilate to kill this Jesus? No problem. We can make a deal there. These were the guys, they were the epitome of the end justifies the means. But God's answer is not, I need a coalition. Could my people go get a coalition for me? God's answer is not accommodation. God's answer is not negotiation. God's answer was the incarnation. The wonderful counselor. The mighty God has come to save. And his is the battle. And his is the victory. And we are the spoils. And the harvest of this wonderful counselor and mighty God who then becomes all of our origin, the eternal father as king. And in him is peace forever. Prince of peace. His answer is the incarnation. That's his answer. How will we get rid of sin's gloom? How will we get rid of sin's darkness? How do we get rid of sin's death? How do we get rid of sin's dominion? We can't. He does. And he needs no coalition. He needs no accommodation. And he needs no negotiation. But we proclaim an incarnation. Our God has come to save. And our God is mighty to save. Rejoice, O people of God, with joy, joy, and joy. Even 10,000 joys. Well, let me just give you the takeaway and then we'll close in prayer. And that's just where I'll bring you to, is where we were. Joy to the world. Now, can I just stop right here? Joy. This is the season not for lament. This is the season to proclaim the answer to lament. The Lord has come to the world. The Lord has come to the world. That God so loved the world, He gave His Son. And in this world of rebellion and in this world of sinners, He will bring His people from every tribe and nation into His kingdom. And that government shall know no end. That government will never stop increasing. That government will never cease as all the empires of this world do. That government is a forever government because the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And the zeal of the Lord is His Son. And His passion was to go to that cross to fulfill it and from the throne 
He will come to consume it into glory. That is what has accomplished. So we have joy. The world is divided. We can show the joy of being one in Christ, a people who were not a people, who have become the people of God. The world is in despair, and it goes from one, it goes from one idol to another. Maybe this experience, maybe this purchase, maybe this possession, maybe this title, maybe this will be the answer. Listen, can I just stop right here? I want to invite you to this Savior today. He has come to you. I invite you to come to Him. It isn't a coalition. It's not a negotiation. It's a surrender. And you will find in Him more joy than you can ever account. It is glorious, His saving grace. Even in a broken world, He will lift you up. He will bear you up. And then He will take you up. As He has gone to prepare a place for you. In fact, I want to, I plead with you to come to Him. In fact, let me just say this. If you're here today and you've not yet come to Christ, and I'm not, I know we come to church, I know we can, Come to services. I know that, but I, I've been right where you are, but I hadn't come to Christ. If you've not yet come to Christ for a personal saving relationship whereby Christ isn't an additive to life, He is your life. And you leave here today without making that commitment. I give you another invitation, whether it's in the lobby or preferably sometime when we've got more time to talk. I ask you to tell me what promises of the world and Satan and sin would keep you from coming to him. And I would just ask you to share with me. What is it you think brings joy instead of him? Who is our joy? Worldlings prize their gems of beauty, cling to gilded toys of dust. But we, in Christ, our joy, alone will place our trust. I will take any amount of time to talk with you about that, to pray with you about that. I want you to know the joy that has come to the world because the Lord has come. And therefore, here's the takeaway. The incarnation brings to us the king. He is one of a kind. He is one of a kind. There is not another king like this. This king and his kingdom, this king is able to emancipate all of his people from the incarceration of Satan and their sin. He is able to break the rod. He is able 
to free you from the yoke of sin. He removes the guilt, the shame, the dominion of sin. He is the one who gives you life and life evermore. He is the one whom you look at as the child warrior king in that stone trough that 33 years after dying an atoning death will be placed in another stone's trough and he will not stay there because this king wins the victory and he is risen. This king that you see wrapped in cloths will be stripped of a robe in order to give you a garment and a robe of righteousness. And as he is stripped of that on a cross, then he clothes you with a robe that is impeccable. As he takes away your sin and gives you life evermore. Here is the one through the government and the people of his kingdom will rest on his shoulder and it will increase and it knows no end. And the reason this government can rest on his shoulder is because there was a cross that he bore on those shoulders to set us free and displace our gloom and death and despair and break the bonds of sin. Here is the one who defeats the enemies at the cross. This is the mighty God who bound the strong man. This is the mighty God who removes the guilt and shame of our sin. This is the mighty God who was separated from the Father and became one of us to bear our sin, to drink to the bottom all of the wrath of God for all of the sins of all of His people for all of eternity. This is the mighty God, the God that has come to win the battle for us, not because He needed us, but because He has loved us. And this is the one who relentlessly and continually will bring the glory and majesty of salvation by grace in humbling Himself. And this is power. This is power. Power of the Lord. Hear him standing after the victory of the resurrection, proclaiming the satisfactory atonement, and that he has won the victory over sin and will now win the victory. And the zeal of the Lord will gather the sinners from all of the nations to himself, and hear him give us our direction. And he says to us, All authority, this is the mighty God. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now you go. Why can you go? Because when you go, you wait to receive from me the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that was that was in the womb whereby I came forth, the same Spirit that was with me in the Galilee, the same Spirit who accompanied me and sent me to the cross, the same Spirit who brought my body out of the tomb, that Spirit from the throne I now give to you, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You've got the power to kill sin. You've got the power to to pursue Christ. You've got the power to pursue the lost for Christ. You've got the power to love one another, not with the love of the world that is always counting the marks of the love that it receives, but the love that takes its joy in the joy of giving. 
because of the one who gave himself for us. That's what I give to you. I give to you the power of the Holy Spirit. I give to you the power of grace that is greater than sin. I give you the power of the gospel that sets sinners free. I give you the power of prayer where you call upon the Lord and he can do abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to his perfect will. And I give you, I give you the power of the cross. That's what I give you. And that is your message to preach Christ and him crucified where the love of God met the holiness of God, satisfied the justice of God to save sinners by the grace of God to the glory of God. And this God, this God is an awesome God. This is our God who is mighty to save. Don't you love it when we sing it? We just need to sing it more. There is power, power, power in the blood of the Lamb. And it is the power of the kingdom, the power of our God. If I could just take that Getty hymn that we love to sing and just simply end with it, somewhat paraphrase for the purpose of this. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. This is the power of the cross. Christ has become sin for us. Christ took the blame. Christ bore the wrath. Now we are emancipated from our incarceration to sins, darkness, gloom, death, despair, and dominion. We stand forgiven at the cross. Oh, to see the pain that was written on his face, bearing the awesome weight of our sin, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning the blood-stained brow of Christ. I don't see thorns on his head. I see the weight of my sins in thought, word, and deed. That's what I see weighing down upon him. Then he takes our sin. Now the day flees. Now the ground beneath quakes as the maker bows his head. The curtain is torn in two, dead or raised to life. Telestai finished is now the victory cry of our mighty warrior king, the mighty God who is able to save. Then see my name written in his hands, for through his suffering we are free. Death is crushed to death. Life is ours to live. One By the love of Christ that now compels us. His passion, the zeal of the Lord, now becomes our passion. And oh, to see how I long when there to see your name. And will you long to see teammates and classmates and workmates, and neighbors, and friends, do you long to see their name written on the hands of our wonderful Counselor, 
our mighty God, our everlasting Father, that they may know the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments together in your word. Please speak to the hearts and lives of your people. I pray, O God, you would lift up, encourage your people that they might see their Savior afresh, somewhat anew even, but see him in his glory, grace, and power and might to save. And then, God, for those here who have not yet come to him, may they leave the momentary exhilarations of sin and the promises of the powers of the world and come to Christ in whom is life and joy for him. Not the happenstance of happiness in the world, but solid joys and lasting treasure in Christ. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.